You are listening to the Tour des Flaneurs, the cycling podcast at the 2022 Tour de France, powered by Super Sapien. Energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Stage 9. Today we're in Chatel. Well, Francois, where are we, monsieur? <laughs> we're in Chatel. And uh, well, they, they, they had Les Portes du Soleil, which not, it's not the name of the place. It's just a, you know, a, a big ski uh, estate, uh, ski area that, uh, you know, that goes over Switzerland and France. So that's what we do today. We come over from Switzerland to France. Châtel, it's a kind of a small ski resort uh, that hosted the tour uh, you know, for the first time in 1975. And then there were, there were stages of the Dauphiné, there were stages of the Tour de Romandie. But it, it, they had not come back from uh, in Châtel for a long time, the Tour de France. As usual, we sit in a table with beers. They are, the beers we're having are Lagos, Ciné, from, Ciné, uh, from Belgium. Yeah, from Belgium, of course. And uh, well, we have a, fr we have mm. a, a friend uh, you know, sitting with us, uh, a colleague from Reuters, Julien Preto. Some of us know, know about Julien because he's been on the podcast before a couple of times. Anyways, uh, we'll discuss today's stage. But before we start, maybe the big talk of, of the, the stage today at the start and at the finish was COVID. Maybe we can describe uh, what happened at the finish when the, the, the stage, that great mm. stage today, first mountain stage was finished. All the riders came down the, 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 the mountain to their buses. And, Mitch? Well, I actually got blocked by the gendarmes. They just wouldn't put me through. It was frustrating. I had all these great questions I wanted to ask, and that was it. They put the blockade up. I don't know how you slipped through the cracks. You suddenly got in there. Because what that happened was, to explain to everyone, is it was a long old walk down from the press room today. It was 2K downhill. We found the buses eventually. We are running a bit late because we wanted to watch the finish on TV. We get down there, and the first few buses, UAE and uh, EF buses, were before the testing. But what was happening today was the riders were getting rapid tests directly after the race. Why were they getting them right now? I don't know. So there was there was a marquee installed, inst mm. big tent installed there. They were queuing uh, DSs, riders, all the stuff, all the members of what they call the race bubble. They were all there queuing for their jobs, and I think they wanted to do them as quickly as possible so that the riders could you know go to their hotels probably in Morzine and all of, you know all over the valley. And they, and so I, I guess they wanted to have enough time to do a second test if necessary if, if, if guys uh, were positive because these are PCR tests so the results will be pretty quick and I guess they'll be doing an antigenic test tomorrow in case some of, our, of mm. the guys are uh, positive. We had a positive case today at the start, Guillaume Martin, the mm. French leader of uh, the, the Cofidis team, he didn't start. Uh, they were hoping un until the last minute that, you know, uh, he had a p positive test last night. They were open this morning. Uh, he had a second test that it would be negative. But unfortunately for them, uh, it, it was positive. I talked to Cédric Vasseur, the Cofidis team manager, at the start of the, the stage. And uh, uh, well, here is what he had to say. So, Cédric, Guillaume won't be at the start this morning. No, that's a bad news. Um, we knew yesterday evening that uh, Guillaume had an antigenic, a positive antigenic test. He had some uh, throw pains. So we did an antigenic test, it was positive. We did a second one because we want always to be sure and it was also positive. So we, we got in touch with uh, the medical director of UCI, with the COVID uh, responsible of ASO. So we organized uh, a PCR test early this morning and we were expecting the result before the start because we were still expecting him to, to start. If uh, the numbers 
would show that he's not a danger for, for the other person. Unfortunately, the, the level of uh, contamination is very high, so it's really better that Guillaume is going out of the team, out of the tour for the safety of everybody else, also for his safety. Now we have no other choice than uh, taking this very hard and heartbroken decision. The, the tour is over for him uh, today. What do you think should be done now to avoid the, the, the virus <laughs> spreading more? I think everything, uh, oh, oh, everything is done. We, we, we can see also that all around us, there's a lot of COVID positive, a lot, very lot in, uh, in all the cities. Uh, the virus is going uh, again. And uh, maybe the, the most safety place is here in the paddock because everybody's wearing a max. We are doing tests every three days with the staff. The riders are testing. So I think we, we can pray first. And, uh, and really, uh, there's nothing more to, to say. We just don't hope we will be in the same situation as in Switzerland, that uh, this uh, uh, virus is going to go uh, in every team. Because if one day we have 30 guys who are not able to take the start of the tour, then it's going to be a big mess. Well, so Julien, uh, COVID has been a, a, a big story. I suppose uh, working for uh, Reuters, the big news agency, uh, it's probably been your main story of the day or not far? It, it, it was actually the big story of the day. Um, and uh, and the, the main point is that it's the rules are different than from the last two years when you, know, you had a couple of tests within the team and then the team was being sent packing. This year, you can even be actually positive and continue the race. Uh, it all depends on the viral uh, load. So they do this, you know, PCR test and they check on the viral load. And that's, that's how actually Bob Jungels, who on the stage today, mm. you know, actually, you know, also managed to start the race despite testing positive on the eve of the race. So that's, that's going to be a question tomorrow. You know, who gets tests positive, you know, might actually, mm. you know, continue the race. Yeah, there, there might, might be lots of implications tomorrow during the rest day and probably Tuesday morning at the start of the, next, uh, of the stage. Uh, you mentioned Bob Jungels. He, well, actually, as you said, he nearly didn't take the start in Copenhagen. He was positive, but he was not, not contagious and he won the stage today, which leads us, I suppose, well, yes. let's, to let's, the tail of the let-up. Let's do it. I'm, I'm a bit of a virgin at this, so, you know, everyone hold... Uh Hold your horses back and let's see how I go. Well, today's stage was 192.9k from Aigel in Switzerland to Châtel Le Port de Soleil back in France with four categorized climbs, Cat 4, Cat 2 and two Cat 1s with a total of 3,740 metres of climbing. So a lot of climbing for everyone there today. It was a tough start and things were exploding in the first categorized climb of the day. A Cat 4 climb, 4.4k at 4%. And they were doing an average of 36k an hour up that climb. And all sorts of riders were finding themselves in trouble at the back of the peloton, not just the sprinters. Florian Seneschal was in trouble, Peter Sagan, Van der Poel, but also climbers, Pierre Roland, Ben O'Connor, they were also in trouble on this first, you know, a Cat 4 climb. Finally, two groups were formally off the front. A large group of 15, we had Jonathan Castrovejo from Team Ineos Grenadiers, Bob Youngles, AG2R Citron, Patrick Conrad, Bora Hansgrove, Carlos Verona, Movistar, Simon Geschke, Cofidis, Luis Leon Sanchez, Bahrain Victorious, Thibaut Pinot, FDJ, Kobe Gossons, Wanti Intermarche, Joe Dombrowski, Astana, Rigoberto Oran, EF Easy Post, Warren Bargill, Arkea Samsic, Jasper Sturven, Trek Segafredo, Guy Niv, 
Israel Premier Tech and also Hugo Huell from Israel Premier Tech and Frank Bonamar from B&B Hotels. There was a second group following them, a group of seven, which included Brendan McNulty, UAE, Walt Van Aert, Yamo Visma, Vinod Kosnefar, AG2R, Citron, Niels Polly, Bora Hansgrove, Yoni Zagire, Kofidis, and Evolt Bolzenhagen, Direct Energy, and of course, Pierre Latour, Direct Energy. So those two groups, they ended up coming together just before the intermediate sprint, which saw Walt Van Aert add 20 more points to his green jersey tally. He's now extended that lead to 284 points. The next is Fabio Jakobsen at 149, and third is today, Podjakar on 128. And I actually heard in the press room today that Walt Van Aert has already got the total points of what is normally seen for a green jersey at the end of the Tour de France. Yeah, well, when you see the first week he did, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, three and, uh, second places, then it's two stage wins. Uh, and again today he was in the, in the leading group. Well, you know, what can we say? Well, there was only five teams that missed that breakaway. Team DSM, Quickstep, Alpha Vinyl, Lotto Sudal, Alperson and Team Bike Exchange. The UAE team took control of the peloton, starting controlling the gap as it always hovered around three minutes and never let it get out too far. And there was a bit of a fight for the KOM points on offer as they crested the Cat 2 climb, Calder Moss, a 13.3k climb at 4%. Hugo Huell started the sprint 1k out from the summit. Pierre Latour, he came over the top to get the five points. Second was Simon Geschka, and actually Hugo Huell ended up third, getting him with two points. On the next climb, the Calder Croix, the Cat 1 climb, 8K at 7.5%. Bob Youngles attacked the breakaway, 3K before the summit, only to be joined by Simon Geschka, who took the maximum 10 points. Bob Youngles taking eight, 8 points, and Pino getting 6 points. Hugo Huel with 4, and Latour picking up the final 2. Geschka now the virtual polka dot leader on the road, overtaking Magnus Court Nielsen. After cresting the climb, Bob Youngles actually attacked Simon Geschka, and after fighting for the polka dot points, Youngles continued on the attack, dropping Geska on the descent with about 60k to go. He went along solo. The peloton entered the final climb of the day, Pastel de la Morgine, 15k at 6%. UAE really started to ramp up the pace, reducing the peloton drastically. And notably, Danny Martinez went out the back, one GC contender. Back in the breakaway was hovering about two minutes behind and Youngles was one minute in front of the peloton with 18k to go and they started to attack each other. Notably, Thibaut Pinot going solo in pursuit of Youngles with 8k of the climb remaining. And personally, I was thinking, there's no way. Bob Youngles was dying and Pino was flying, cutting the gap down to 25 seconds at the top. But also the chasing behind was Jonathan Castrovejo and Carlos Verona closing the gap fast at 20 seconds behind Pino. Meanwhile, two minutes behind what was left of the peloton with George Bennett from UAE Emirates riding a really solid tempo. Geshka was able to hold off the peloton to grab the final points of the mountains classification and now he is the leader of the polka dot jersey with 19 points over Jungles on 18. As they hit the last 2k, Jungles had extended his lead from the small descent to 30 seconds over Pino. Both Jungles and Pino looking very spent and it was going to be a grovel to the line 
As Pino cracked inside the last kilometre, Jungles pushed on to hold on for the win. Carlos Verona and Jonathan Castroveco picked up Pino in the last few hundred metres and blew by him. Castroveco taking second, Verona taking third and Pino fourth. But all of a sudden, the remainder of the small peloton appeared out of nowhere. 45 seconds behind the winner, Pojicar leading them in with Vingegaard in his wheel and Thomas three seconds behind with Yates in his wheel. The Cycling Podcast at the 2022 Tour de France, powered by Super Sapien. Energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Still guessing on fueling? Not sure what or when to eat and drink on rides that matter? Never again. Optimize your fueling strategy with real-time glucose data, actionable insight and personalized analytics. We are here to help you achieve your performance goals. Go to supersapiens.com for more on how to track your energy levels and fuel for success. Thank you very much to Super Sapiens for sponsoring the Cycling Podcast. Have a listen to their new podcast that they've started creating, the Super Sapiens Podcast. It basically explains how elite athletes are using the Super Sapiens system of continuous glucose monitoring to improve their training, their racing and their recovery. And the second episode features the South African rider Ashley Moorman Passio. And this is a clip from that episode. I used to feel like we were a victim um, and it wasn't great energy. And so I very quickly turned that into a thought of I need to lead by example. So, um, you know, as I cultivated my ideas of, of how to try and introduce sort of a business model or think of of cycling in a different way. I might not be able to get everyone to agree, but if I just keep leading by example and showing in my own life how I execute on these things, that at some point um, maybe it could become something bigger and more meaningful. Go to supersapiens.com to find out more about Super Sapiens. Well, a great tale of the etap there, uh, Mitch. I mean, the uh, prob- probably the uh, you know pronunciation brigade will be uh, on your back for. Oh, cut me a break, t- would you? Tade Pogacar, not Pochagar. But anyway, I mean, we, we all have our flaws. I, I, I keep saying Wood van Aert when I know very well it's Wout van Aert. But anyways, Bob Junglos. I think I pronounced it reasonably well. Uh, what what a ex- extraordinary resurrection mm. for 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 that rider. It, we knew. Well, we know what, a, what he was a very classy rider. One of Richard Moore's favorite riders. I mm. remember every time we had to pick, you know, a winner uh, when uh, you know in in forecasts or pronunciations, he, he would often go for Bob Jungels. Unfortunately, Bob Jungels, who uh, twice finished in the top ten of the Giro, he was six once and eighth another time, and then he was eleventh on the Tour de France one year as well. Won Liège, Bastien Liège, uh, back in the day. All of a sudden, his last year in, with Quick Step was not very good. He joined Egitoire, we were looking for UCI points and different type of rider to lead the team, and he had no results whatsoever. Mm. I talked to Vincent Lavenu at the, the finish of the stage, and he told me uh, what happened actually. That what, when they realized you know, Bob Jungers were not performing at, at this normal level, they had you know, medical checks made, and it, it appeared that uh, Bob Jungers had clogged arteries, so he had surgery to solve the problem. And uh, this was about you know about a year ago, and and it took time for him to re- rebuild his body, to reshape his form and everything. And the result is is here a, a, a fantastic 65 k's yeah. solo. Unbelievable! And that's what made the stage so exciting, and hence the big tail of the tap. There wasn't much I couldn't leave out of it. 
Yeah, no, I mean, you know, the, 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 this sort of the, that's exactly what you expect on the, on the first mountain stage of the of the Tour de France. We knew that the uh, the probably the GC leaders we would you know try to to you know watch uh, one another, and 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 you you expect this kind of and the exciting thing was, as well was there were there were two two solo raids, you know, with riders chasing one another. Jungels, who started with 65 yeah. to go, and and then as you as you said, Thibaut Pinot, who you know embarked on on a kind of a swashbuckling but probably desperate attempt to catch him and then also you know the, at the third echelon of the race as well you know the the the, 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 the two spaniards castroviero and carlos verona also trained their luck it was there was a bit of suspense there you know as we saw you know the uh, every time pino was uh, you know the, every time the, the the road was going up pino was was you know pino was was getting nearer Jungels and every time the, the, the road was going flat or down uh, Jungels were, were making making up for lost time so an exciting moment for sure Julien yeah, I, mean, I was just thinking you know, fun fact that well, it's the first you know, rider from Luxembourg to win on the tour since Andy Schleck in 2011 and when Andy Schleck won he also won after a solo raid of like about 60 kilometers at the Galibier okay the stakes are not one of the same because Schleck was going for GC but you know nice little fact that the, 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 he won is kind of the same fashion of, uh, as his compatriots you, you can imagine there was a really really uh, uh, you know Great joy at the at the uh, Aegis World Bus, uh, you know, people falling in, into each other's arms because, as you said, Ben O'Connor, their leader, is not doing so well. They also had Geoffrey Bichard, Bouchard out of the tour with COVID, and so uh, and I talked to a couple of uh, other DSs, uh, and also I talked to Oliver Nesson, who is kind of the road captain of the team, and uh, here is what he had to say. Well, I suppose it's a great satisfaction to see Bob winning this and the way he did it, even from the back, where we were. Absolutely, he deserves it very much after all the, the difficulties and injuries he had the last two years to come back uh, in such a way is, is incredible, especially with, with a number like that. So You've been a pillar of the team for many, well, for a few years now. How was it for Bob to, to come in this team and not being able to perform? I'm sure it's been frustrating for him. Well, for a champion like that, it's for sure frustrating. He's used to, to winning, to having a super high level. And if, uh, if you do all the efforts, all the investments, and, and you don't get any return, I can tell you it's very, very frustrating. And uh, we never backed down, and today he uh, picked the fruits of all the work. The team had a little bit of problems. It's in the sort of with Ben crashing and not being, not being in the mix, and with Geoffrey out of the, the team. This is a great revenge, I suppose. Great vindication. Well, revenge is a big word, but uh, we just have to always stay positive, and, except for the COVID test, obviously. <laughs> I have to always be positive and uh, keep going for it. On a day like today, uh, this morning, uh, I didn't really think we were going to win this stage, if I am honest, but this again proves that you always have to keep believing in yourself and the, and the teammates. And uh, yeah, it's just a great moment. Well, I really love hearing teammates talk about other teammates. I think they're the most passionate you know, interviews because they know what happens out there. They, they know what the suffering's about. So when they see their teammates overcome such troubles that Youngles has had, it's interesting or really nice to hear them lay that back down and say where they've come from. But I was really impressed with a good old mate of mine, Simon Geshko. I actually lived with him together when we were back in Skill Shimano. We shared a house down in a place called Kelmus La Calamine, down in the German part of Belgium, believe it or not. And I'm liking seeing him fight for the KOM. The KOM now seems like it's going to be a bit of a, a spiced up sort of um, jersey, you know, the, the green jersey's gone 
the yellow potentially could be gone already. But the KOM, it seems exciting, you know. It all depends, as usual, what Tadej Pogacar decides to do. In the, in the last couple of years, he won all the you know he, he, he won all the jersey he could get. I mean, youngest young rider. If if he wins the tour, he'll be you know the mm. best young rider again. And 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 with with the point system and the way you know climbers are favored, uh, that, that there is a risk you know that again. Uh, Tadi Pogacar, if he attacks when he needs to attack the mountains, uh, you know keeps that polka dot jersey but we'd, we'd love to see guys like Simon Gashke you know try to kind of fool the system and and you know manage to score points when it matters on the first climbs and and yeah kind of rival uh, you know we say we, we know we, we discussed yesterday about the monsters of the bunch Van Aert, Pogacar, uh, maybe Alaphilippe on his, be on his best days it's nice to see humans mm. like uh, Simon Gashke go for the polka dot well, one thing I was really excited today about was uh, Thibaut Pinot, Thibaut, sorry, Thibaut Pinot, just after yesterday we saw him and we commented on it, putting his heart on his sleeve and having that feedback incident. And he, I actually went down and spoke to the man of the moment, Matt Boudin, he's the media manager from EF Edu uh, Easy Post, and asked him what it was like giving Thibaut Pinot a hug mid-stage. Matt. Matt Bowden, very famous now. You extended your arms right at the right time to catch Thibaut Pinot. Pinot, sorry. How was it, mate? Well, I spent most of my time thinking I need to get out of the way of this man before he hits me. And then I realized we were, we were sort of like magnets towards one another. Uh, he, he definitely was coming right for me, and I think like intentionally. Uh, so I thought, okay, at this point, I'm just going to get that arm out there and see, see if I can give him... Because he kind of... He kind of leaned in a little bit and just needed a little cuddle, I think, honestly. And uh, was lucky to be there for that. It had to be him. It could have been no one else but him. I was totally thinking that. It was like, you know, where's his heart on his sleeve? And it was just the perfect gesture, the perfect timing, and I think the perfect man to extend the hug. <laughs> I agree with that. I mean, I'm just, I, frankly, I'm glad it's me. And uh, I think... You know, you can't go around hugging everybody, obviously, but if you're gonna if you're gonna give one out, that's the one to give. Julien, who's with us, Julien Preto of Reuters, you know Thibaut very well. You followed his career, uh, you, you, so I, I guess that you you, I mean, some of us were, however journalistic we can be and however uh, objective we can try to be, uh, we're, we're all kind of Thibaut fans. So I I, I suppose today to to see what he did was, uh, yeah, was was a pleasure, even if he didn't win in the end. Yeah, well, no cheering in the press box, as they say, but except when it's Thibaut Pinot. I mean, in my case, uh, I have to say I was, uh, yeah, I was cheering for him. Um, uh, okay, I, I, I don't understand why he didn't go a little bit earlier, maybe one or two k's earlier when the slope was a bit steep, steeper than it was in the, in the end of the climb. But one thing that struck me is that usually when he you know fails to win you know something he could have won he's he looks dejected and he's you know bad mood etc and then when he spoke to reporters he was it was kind of okay you know so i i don't know i think you know the next one will be for him next time he goes for it he's going to get it because it's a very uh it's a very stubborn animal you know he's got this animal side to him that you know next time you know he's going to go for the throat and he's and that's yeah nobody's gonna stop him I think and I would like probably see him winning like Otakam or something maybe when the weather gets bad because today was very hot and it's the kind of weather he actually doesn't like I mean you couldn't tell today but 
Uh, it's the kind of weather it doesn't like, so if the weather gets bad in the Pyrenees, and it usually does at some point, uh, I'm, yeah, I wouldn't bet my house, well, I don't own a house, but if I own a house, I would bet my house that he w is going to win one before the end of the tour. Yeah. Yeah. Let's remember that he also got COVID between Tour de Suisse, where he was, uh, you know, again, sometimes at his, at his best, sometimes not not so good. Uh, and so, so he, he said. He said also that you know he, he could still feel the COVID in his legs. So I talked to Philippe Mauduit, his, uh, uh, his team director, who was in the car behind him, and, and he, he told me about the, the uh, excitement, the uh, expectation, and the final frustration of being in the car behind Thibaut Pinot. This is what he had to say. Well, big expectation, big uh, excitement, and in the end, uh, a little bit of frustration, I'm sure. Yeah, that's right. It's a mix in between the happiness and sadness. You know, we, we would have uh, loved to see Thibaut uh, being first on that line, but uh, that was not the case. Uh, we had a super young girls. Uh, we did a big numero today, and uh, unfortunately, Thibaut came back on 18 seconds and, and then could not go closer. That's part of the game. What was missing? I mean, did he attack too late or did the legs were just a little bit too tight? Well, it's a mix on everything. You know, yesterday he was still not super good. And he was he's telling me this morning, I don't know if I should go today. I feel that COVID is uh, still in my legs and maybe I should wait a few days. And I say, OK, yeah. take your chance anyway. If you are in the front, the breakaway will go on the first climb or just a little bit behind. You don't move before, you try on that climb and, and uh, if you are in, you are in and you take your chance. If you are not, then you stay close to David and, and we see day by day. It was good that he took his chance because now mentally he know he can do it. Uh, and then what was missing? Yeah, probably a little bit of legs still. And, and the timing also, but um, as we were speaking after the finish, you know, he was with uh, some really great climbers with him. They were all looking at him and it was not easy to, to go alone. He had to attack one or two times before he could go alone. And, uh, and, and then it was a bit too late uh, to come back on, on Bob, but that's part of the game. He'll do it again, for sure, before the end of the tour? I hope so, and I'm pretty sure. <laughs> well, exciting. I'm... I'm a converted Thibaut Pinot fan. Like he, 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 he really shook the race up today. Something I didn't see coming, and clearly they've got the faith in him. Science in Sport is supporting the cycling podcast at the 2022 Tour de France. Science in Sport, fueled by science. Thank you very much to Science in Sport for supporting the cycling podcast. If you are riding the ATAP, you want to be stocking up with plenty of Science in Sport products and I can really recommend the Beta Fuel for a long ride. Obviously, you'll have got all of your fueling strategy prior to the event spot on, uh, but you need to take care during and after the event as well. But I can recommend the Beta Fuel because on my tour around Scotland a few months ago, the Beta Fuel really came into its own. And it was the first time I'd really used a product like that uh, to fuel a multi-day ride. And I was really impressed with just the sort of subtle but uh, noticeable results. 
I was eating less solid food and I was fueling, using the beta fuel and making sure that I was consuming a lot of carbohydrate but without having to overeat. Uh, So I found it a very effective and comfortable way of fueling. If you want to get 25% off everything at Science in Sport, go to scienceinsport.com. Well, there was a little bit of a shake-up in the GC today. Today, Car actually got three seconds on the likes of Yates and Geraint Thomas. Um, you know, a little bit of a sprint at the end, but the question that everyone is throwing out there, especially within the peloton, is, is UAE strong enough? I'm talking about the team. We know today is strong enough, that's clear, but everyone's looking for a weakness, and there's this question thrown out there, Oh, yeah, they're weak. You know, the the one kink in the armour, I even said it two days ago, the kink in the armour is the team. Well, I actually grabbed George Bennett, a guy that I know very well, at the finish of today's stage. He was very relaxed, actually, and asked him that question to hear what he thought about these sort of projections about the team. Mate, we've just got to the first rest day. Um, There is a few questions about, you know, after the last couple of days, like, oh, you know, this, this lingering thing. How can we beat... Podjakar. It's like, well, maybe his team. Maybe his team's not up for it. You've been one of the integral guys for it for the team. You just rode the front pretty much the, the final climb there. How do you feel about those sort of comments and how are you feeling about your team and the strength of your team? They're hurtful and I take them personally. <laughs> no, I have. Everyone, everyone actually, it is one of those things that does piss me off because it's like one of those things that like four years ago UAE had a bad team. And then it's like this, dairy, no, I don't know, lack of words. It's just this image that's stuck. And people are like, yeah, UAE, don't have a good team. Even last year, the guys were so good. And they're like, yeah, UAE, they were shit. Just one good guy. And now, like, this year, okay, in Denmark, we didn't line up eight guys in a row and waste a bunch of energy. But t- today was never alone. Okay, we had a bit of bad luck on the cobble stage. I was with him. I crashed. Randon was with him. He crashed. So he was alone that day. But it was alone with Steuven. Not, you know what I mean? So we, there's a lot of just criticism going around. I mean, I feel like we're pretty good, you know. For sure there's weaknesses, of course. Every team has its weakness. And maybe our thing, especially now we've lost Vegard because uh, of COVID, is that maybe we don't have a heap of big guys on the flat. But I think we're pretty well equipped with in the mountains for what's to come. You know when you're on a team, you know what it's like. You were like the guy that lived and died for your team. Someone insulted a guy on your team that you didn't even like them. You took that personally. And a little bit, for me, I'm a little bit like, chill out on my team, you know? Like, So, yeah, I don't know. I think we're all right. I think we're doing all right. What about today when stuff was going bad? Uh, not bad, when stuff was going crazy. You know, there was guys going up the road. Rigoberto Oran went up the road. You know, there was, there was some serious riders up there. What was the feeling amongst you guys when it was like, okay, cool, let's control. What was, was there any kind of panic out there with you guys in this situation at the start? Not really, because we were okay with giving away the jersey, especially to like Rigo, because I quite like him. And he's also like three and a half minutes down, so there was a bit of wiggle room. And if he took the jersey by a minute, that wasn't a big issue for us. There was a little bit of like, when the first break went, we were like, oh, awesome, great. And then you know how it is, guys just pushing through on the side, pushing on the side. Eventually, Bossenhagen gets through, takes a group of like six guys away, but it's like Pollitt, Walt, all these like super strong guys that you don't want to break away. And then we were like, we weren't panicking, but there was definitely a moment where we went, shit, let's close this, and realized we couldn't. And then we went, oh, well, we've got to deal with it now. And we started riding. And then, like, Bjerg was so strong, and then Soler was so strong, and then I didn't really have to do much, just rode up a hill. So it was, it was all right, it was, you know? Like, 
also maybe the break was so big plus the fact that we had a guy sitting on the back that kind of you know how it is when when there's a guy on the back of a breakaway not working everyone it just kills the flow a little bit well i mean i don't know if uh, tari pogacar as a weak team i mean we saw what george bennett th- th- uh, thinks of it but uh, once again he, he's i mean lots of guys say well it doesn't matter too much about the team because he needs to have the legs he again at the legs today, mm. as he, he, show, he showed in the fin, in the finale, the the, the, the strange things is we, we saw the, the the gaps, you know, until the very finish. And when we saw the the, the peloton come back, you know, the uh, I mean, they were re- really close. I couldn't believe it. Yeah, I, I mean, was so I was actually surprised. I we, knew they were there, but I was surprised. Which means, you know, what, what a great job the, uh, the, the that weak team did, you know, <laughs> yeah, because know. they brought back the peloton almost, you know, on 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 the on the break, and 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 in the very final stretch, uh, Pog. As we call him from <laughs> between us, uh, at, at another go uh, for it, you know, to try and take time off uh, the, the the other GC leaders, and well, it didn't work totally with Jonas Vingegaard, who is now really sitting on his, uh, you know, on his saddle, so to speak. But it took uh, it took a few seconds off uh, of Ineos. I mean. In a way, what 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 Pogacar has been trying to do, even when he, he you know he pipped Vinegar in the in, in the last stretch in La Planche Belfi, is marginal gains, you know, which which are actually Ineos' uh, strengths. Well, it used to be. Uh, yeah, Julien. You. Yeah, well, Pogacar was speaking about it in the in his press conference today. He was asked about his uh, alleged, you know, the alleged uh, weakness of his team, and he was very defiant about it. He says, well, well, you saw what happened today, you know, we control the stage, everything, and we're fine. We have the strongest team. Okay, maybe it's not right, but I don't think his team is as weak as, you know, as people might you know, might think. You know, McNulty and Michael, they've, they've been doing an awesome job, and I don't think he needs more. I mean, now that we're in the mountains, he doesn't need more than those two guys to, you know, uh, shepherd him a little bit. And then, like we saw at the end, you know, Takes the matter in his own, into his own hands, and that's enough. In, in yours, uh, Mitch, uh, you, you, you talked to Adam yes this morning uh, about their, their tactics. We, we we still can't see what really they, they can do or not do uh, in the upcoming days in the mountains. What what's um, what, what what are your what what was Adam Yates' uh, thoughts about it, and what do you think? They can do in the in the in the future. Well, yeah, it was, it, it's a rare interview with Adam Yates. It's a hard man to get, but I tracked him down, forced him off the road, and got this little interview from him. So have a listen, Adam Yates. Big stage for you guys. Um, plenty of options. You know, you guys are going to be obviously racing aggressive today. How are you feeling before this stage? Yeah, it's going to be a tough one. Um, just saying, then, like it's first day with a bit of heat, um, and when you're in the mountains like this, there's no not much uh, not much shade. So it's going to be a hot one. It's going to be a hard one. Um, so I guess we'll see what happens. Um, I think it's still a long way to go. Still two weeks of hard racing. I had a look at the roadbook before and it's not really an easy stage for a long time now. So uh, we'll see what happens. Well, Yatesy a little bit coy there, but saying, you know, not saying a lot, but it's always good to hear his voice because he's not often heard on interviews. I did speak to Steve Cummings before the stage too, and he was indicating to me that they were going to be aggressive today. That wasn't really the case. They wanted to get two guys into the breakaway. They only got Castrovejo in there. They wanted another climber in there. I don't know if that would have changed things. It was interesting to see EF rolling the dice with Rigoberto Oran. I I guess we can say now that wasn't the right move. But at the time, when I saw it happening, I thought it was the right move. I thought, this is great. He's going to get time. In the end, I don't know, could he have stayed with the peloton if he'd stayed there all day and not lost time? But then again, is that playing it safe? 
Yeah, Castro Viejo, you know, finished uh, finished pretty close to, to to victory actually I mean the the, the, the end the very end of the, the stage was quite undecided and Carlos Verona was in the mix mm. as well uh, you, you, you talked to Carlos Verona as well uh, and his, lead, his team leader Enric Mas he's funny Enric Mas he's the, the guy you never talk about you know every time we make reports about the, the, the GC contenders he's the guy you you, 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 tr you you tend to overlook well he shouldn't be overlooked he's, he's again you know there uh, close to the top five and, um, and so well what did uh, Carlos tell you about Enric Mas? Well, yeah, have a listen to this. Enric Mas has moved into eighth position now, down from ninth yesterday. He's slowly creeping back in. But what I took from Carlos's interview was they've got the confidence behind him. He's supposedly passed the hardest stages in their mind, the cobblestones, the crosswinds. Now he's in his terrain. Have a listen to what Carlos had to say. All right, we're finally here in the mountains. Enric Mas is looking really good. How, what's the team plan today? You know, you feeling confident about his his ability today to stay up there on GC? For sure, I think like the worst days for him are behind. Like first week was really tricky for us, and now that he's behind, we are more confident, more calm. I think now we feel now in our comfort zone. So yeah, let's hope. I think still, yeah, we have the hardest part of the tour in front of us. Like now with the first stage in the Alps, next week will be very hard, and also the two stages in the Pyrenees will be challenging. So I think it's time to still keep calm and yeah and let's see but I think we are confident in our podium possibilities. Well just to clean up a few loose ends we did lose a few riders today as well Ruben Guerrero from my old team EF Easy Post it was thought that he had COVID but actually I spoke with Charlie Wigelius after the stage today and he said oh no he's actually just sick you know it's funny now when anyone someone gets sick now it's like well he has to have COVID but he was actually just genuinely normal yeah. sick um, and also, Casper Askren, he hasn't recovered from his knee injury. He also pulled the pin today. Um, so two two more riders that have you know didn't start today, apart from the COVID cases that we spoke about earlier. Ben O'Connor. Ben O'Connor. I saw him going back to the bus. Uh, the ages were bus when I was waiting for all the other guys celebrating the. Uh, uh, you know, Bob Ungel's victory. It was, it was, it was a bit of a sorry sight because you could tell, you could tell that the, the, the general mood in the bus was joy and happiness and mm. excitement. And but you couldn't tell Ben O'Connor was not really, you know, enjoying the, the as much as the others because, I mean, it was a, a sight to see. He came, you know, he came out of, uh, out of his, down from his bike, got up the, uh, the, the 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 steps to the bus. He was like, you know. Uh, leaning forward like an old man, you know, and he and he told one of the Swaniers, uh, "There was a start tomorrow." Uh, well, fortunately, it's a rest day. I I, I wouldn't start. So really, in a, you know, really in trouble, Ben O'Connor. Well, let, let's let's hope he uh, he'll, he'll be able to start on Tuesday. Well, there is a rest day tomorrow, and actually, it's a rest day for me and the finish of the tour. I finished my Tour de France. This was the final Champs-Élysées for me today. <laughs> I'm heading back to Melbourne tomorrow, and I'm leaving everyone in the good hands of Francois here. Um, I don't know who you're going to recruit. Who are you recruiting for the podcast next week, Francois? Mm, I will. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's getting with COVID and all the uh, all the problems around the bunch and around our, our daily lives, it's, it's becoming, you know, a little bit difficult to tell no well what we know for sure we we will have another ex pro uh who, who did the tour once and is also uh, you know f uh, familiar to the uh oh so what are you saying because 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 i didn't do the tour i wasn't you know 
worthy of being on the podcast. You, you did the, you did the tour as a journalist twice now. Okay, fair and enough. And, and you get pro and you you're a great pro at it now, uh, which is not the case of our future. Uh, you know, the, well, member of the team. Uh, he wrote one Tour de France, actually. Uh, he correct me if I is wrong. His name is Ian Boswell. Uh, well, you know, familiar to your, our listeners as well because he's, he's he's been on the podcast quite a few times. I'm sure we're going to enjoy. It'll be something something different. I, I don't know how keen Ian is on craft beer, but we'll see. We'll discover when uh, you know uh, from Tuesday onwards. And anyway, it was great to have you, uh, you know, on the on on the pod, Mitch. You'll be sorely missed, and uh, I, I I really hope. Even if I don't do any many more tours, uh, I do hope we, uh, you know, where we get to get together, maybe in you know, in Caracas, in Caracas, some of the places we both love. Well, you know, thanks, Mitch. The, the last, uh, maybe the last bit of the podcast is. Uh, well, yeah, let's 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 go into the tour de Buffalo clip. I want to say goodbye to Julian. Um, well, anyway, for me, you might be a guest on the podcast next week. Who knows what's going to happen when Francois's got the keys to the city? But it's going to be crazy anyway. Julian, thanks for coming on. Well, thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. I actually remember, like, uh, I was just thinking about it during the podcast that took part in one of the very few first podcasts with uh, Richard, uh, who's been sorely missed already, uh, in 2013 in Porto Vecchio on that uh, on that boat uh, at the start. And uh, I just wanted to spare a thought for him. And thanks for having me. And I'll let Francois introduce the Tour de Buffalo clip world for today. You know, sometimes, I mean, I, I've said it a couple of times in the, in the, in the, in the podcast since... Uh, the, the, the beginning of this tour that there is quite a, there are quite a few instances when you you, you have a great interview uh, you, you think it's in the box you think you've recorded it you think everything went perfectly but you didn't press the button or you you run out of battery or there was a technical problem it, it's happened to us all uh, in, in in the trade of journalism it happened to Richard as well and uh, once when we were on 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 the on the route on the road of the tour uh, he, you know, he, he reminded, he, he, he told the story of, of his worst, probably, uh, you know, big uh, miss out on, you know, uh, recording an interview that he never actually recorded. The Tour du Buffalo, remembering Richard Moore. I'm glad I'm a little bit more careful about my... Yeah, you know, a bit more professional in my. Actually, it has happened to me once, but I wasn't going to mention it because it's not cycling related, and this is a cycling podcast. Happened to me once when I uh, phoned Carl Lewis's coach, Tom Tellez, who's quite elderly now and uh, lives in Houston. I had a long phone interview with him uh, for a book I was writing, Dirtiest Race in History, and it was fantastic. It was wonderful. And actually, Francois, I did listen to what he was saying as he was talking, and I had a total equipment malfunction it didn't record i spent hours searching fruitlessly for this recording that didn't exist i couldn't believe that it hadn't recorded but i was able to and i had a few days you know to, to do this or longer um to piece together what he'd said and I, I remembered certain quotes and it was so vivid because he was talking about things that i knew really well like he was talking about the 100 meter final in seoul in 1988 and how Carl Lewis was preoccupied by Ben Johnson, his great rival, and he could see watching him from the stand how he was not focused on his own race, but he was absolutely focused on his rival. And, and all that, it was brilliant stuff. And 
and and because as he said it it was things there were things that I was latching onto I was able to piece together kind of what he'd said I mean I hope so accurately I mean, anyone who's read that book all the Tom Tellez quotes there are basically <laughs> basically things that I remembered him saying hopefully accurately but it's very curious the way a slight tangent here but it's very curious the way that the mind works and the memory works with interviews that we do with with writers especially going back a long time ago I mean we did recently a, a friend special with Stephen Roach talking about the 1987 Giro and he told a lot of stories that he's told a lot and some of them are just the versions of events that he it's as he understands now things that happened 30 years ago I had a very curious um, example of this when I was doing my book on Robert Miller when, while I was working on the book I uh, met with a, an old school friend of mine who said oh I remember you told me this story about doing a training camp with Robert Miller in Stirling in Scotland and riding with him and your hat blew off and, and landed in a puddle and Robert Miller looked at you and said, "Better a wet hat than no hat." And as he told, as he has he told me something that I had told him twenty years earlier, I remembered it. I re-remembered it, and I put it in the book. The book came out, and then another friend of mine who I used to cycle with contacted me and said, "Yeah, that story in your book, that didn't happen to you. That happened to me. You were there. I was there." But it actually didn't happen to me, it happened to him. And so I had been, it triggered a distant, vague memory of something that had happened, but I'd slightly misremembered how it had happened. That wasn't deliberate. It was, the, it was just me piecing together odd parts of my memory and coming up with something that was just slightly not accurate. The Cycling Podcast was created in 2013 by Richard Moore, Daniel Freed and Lionel Byrne. Yeah.